Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vigilance Press Podcast. My name is James Dossie. I'm the host for your for your entertainment tonight, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, keep you guys engaged talking about the DC Adventures uh, role-playing game, the latest book, Universe, which uh, has just been released in PDF format and is available for pre-order from Green Ronin's website. You can go to mutantsandmasterminds.com or I think dcadventures.com, right? Yep, or greenrunning.com. Or greenrunning.com. And um, we'll be talking about that with uh, our guest, Steve Kenson, who just spoke. Hey, Steve, how's it going? It's going very well, thanks. And then we also have Aaron Sullivan, who worked on the book. Aaron, how's it going? Going fine. Thanks for having me. Yep. And I actually have the pleasure of saying that half my guests tonight have also done some work for me, so I'm still trying to get Steve to... <laughs> find some time in his schedule <laughs> yeah we got to talk about that at some point yep so um one quick thing i, I just do want to mention a couple of news points before we get into talking about the book um as it's out is um today we also had some very bad news in the uh some sad news in the uh, role-playing game industry um margaret weiss productions uh, will no longer be continuing the Marvel Heroic line. So those of us who were big fans of that line and uh, um, very impressed by the uh, production products that they put out. And this is another thing that uh, Aaron also got a chance to work on, but um, that was uh, uh, announced today. So if anybody out there is interested, um, they will no longer be selling any of the Marvel either books or PDFs uh, through any vectors after the end of the month so um, you've got about a week left uh, from the time we're recording this to uh, chase down any copies of that otherwise you'll probably find them at collector's <coughs> prices after that mm -hmm. but um, and they are very collectible I do highly recommend the books they are uh, very well put together um, as I've said elsewhere I am totally stealing some of those layout ideas <laughs> Jeremy does good work he does some yes, fantastic indeed. work um, but let's let's talk a little bit more about DC Adventures. Actually, one more news bite. Um, for those of you who have picked up the PDF for DC Adventures Universe already, um, you know there there have already been you know uh, John's been collecting errata on the uh, John Lighthouser, the line developer, has been collecting errata on the uh, Atomic Think Tank. Uh, there's an errata thread that you can go to. Uh, so if you notice any typos or other inconsistencies, you can report them there. And uh, he says he'll be re he'll probably be collecting that through the end of the weekend. Um, yep. And then the uh, the fixes will go into uh, an updated version of the PDF and then sent off to the printer. So correct. If you guys are interested in submitting some, you know, proofreading time, uh, you need to get that done by this weekend. But uh, hopefully. Um, hopefully we've, I think we've caught most of it, so it, yeah, yeah, it looks like a pretty, I hope pretty so. good book. It's, it's a lot shorter than the first errata thread for Heroes and Villains 1, <laughs> as I recall. Yes, we learned our lesson with that. <laughs> also, we had the advantage of having a Hero Lab after that one. Oh, God's bless Hero Lab. <laughs> Let me tell you, makes, makes my life a whole lot easier. Yep, I echo that statement. Take my um, sincere gratitude, Lone Wolf Development. Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> you guys are awesome. All right, so let's talk a little bit about... This is the fourth book. Mm -hmm. in fourth the and final. Series. 
and the final book in the DC Adventures universe. Uh, Steve, how, how did how did the DC Adventures um, for for people who may not have heard you talk about this like a thousand times before? How how did this all come together and and talk a little bit about the DC Adventures project? Well, we at um, Green Ronin had been talking about the idea of pursuing a comic book license for Mutants and Masterminds um, for quite some time, you know, pretty much since the um, second edition of the game when I came on as as line developer. And um, we, you know, so, I mean, we we had talked in a number of, you know, sort of vague terms um, about uh, pursuing a license and um, Ray Winninger, um, who is a you know friend of uh, Green Ronin and um, has considerable you know, experience in the in the industry, um, made some uh, initial uh, inquiries um, with uh, some people he knew at uh, at DC, and uh, we uh, basically entered into a, a lengthy back and forth in terms of, of uh, negotiating um, uh, the possibility of a license. And um, for, for good or bad, um, role-playing games are, are kind of low on the licensing priority scale uh, for a lot of media companies, um, primarily because they, um, they have a lot of uh, approval overhead. Uh, relatively relative to a lot of other things mm-hmm. you know when somebody produces a you know 250 page book you know packed with information about your property that's a lot more to go through and approve than you know looking at a lunchbox and saying yeah that looks like superman <laughs> you know approved um so you know obviously uh, you know the so, something like a role-playing license is is um, something that a lot of media companies are, you know, uh, not necessarily high, considering the, you know their highest priority. Um, but um, when uh, DC's 75th anniversary came around, um, DC's um, marketing department was very keen to have this sort of multimedia blitz uh, and you know have DC everywhere and everything. Um, mm-hmm. And that included, you know, in RPGs. So um, the the idea of of a, an RPG license suddenly became much more of a priority uh, than it had been. And um, so we were able to uh, work out uh, an agreement um, with DC. Um, and uh, there were there were a few key things um, that that DC wanted. Um, one of them being that they wanted a complete um, game. Uh, they wanted the DC Adventures game. They didn't want the DC Universe source book for Mutants and Masterminds. Um, so um, part of that necessitated uh, producing a, you know, essentially a standalone game book um, for uh, the DC uh, property. And that's uh, led to the, the genesis of you know, taking the opportunity to revise some elements of the uh, second edition rules and produce what became the uh, third edition of Mutants and Masterminds. Um, that is found in both the DC Heroes Handbook and in the regular Mutants and Masterminds Heroes Handbook. Awesome. And uh, I'll let you catch your breath there. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a, a lot of information that has been in the, 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 the first three books. I mean, first the first book, we had the rule book, and we had, I think, um, 14 heroes and 14 villains. Is that correct? Yeah, Something I think like that's that? about right. It might be... 
15 and 14 or something like that, but it's pretty close, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so so you had, you know, some of the iconic characters in the first book, and then with Heroes and Villains 1 and 2, you have close to 600 characters. Yeah. Um, it, that was probably the most massive uh, comic book license project I've ever seen uh, in a role-playing game. Uh, uh, yeah, short of, of um, TSR's old... Marvel handbook, but that that came out in small chunks. I mean, you know, well, never... uh, you know, I mean, they also did like eight volumes of it or something like that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, uh, so there was a lot of it. There was there was a lot of content in just those hardcover books that we've got. You yeah, know, the four books. So I was I was really you know impressed. And um, what brings it all together uh, to the to the fourth book is we we have the first two books. Uh, the first two supplemental books uh, after the rule book were essentially, you know, the dramatis personae of of the uh, the DC universe, the the main characters, 600 important characters. But when you get to the the DC universe, one of the main draws is the universe itself. You know, what defines the universe and and the setting, information, the history, and and so on. Um, how do you approach a book like that, I mean, structurally? Well, we basically ended up um, breaking the book down into these, you know, big big chunks um, where, um, you know, when you're tackling the entire, you know, uh, span of the, of the DC universe, the, the book literally breaks down into um, chapter one is everything that happened in the past – um, chapter two is everything about present day Earth. Chapter three is everything in the present day that's not on Earth, uh, which is to say, you know, outer space and all the cosmic stuff. Chapter four is everything. You know, the present day starts to lose meaning in this in this regard. That is not in Earth's dimension. <laughs> and chapter five is everything that happens after the present day. <laughs> because there's actually enough in there to to fill. Because we're talking comics and the future and mm-hmm. lead to sure. superheroes and all that wonderful stuff. Um. So I mean, it basically kind of breaks itself down. Then I mean, if if you're just assigning simple things like that, but there's so much content. How do you know when to start and when to stop? <laughs> Well, you know, it really it really comes, you know, you have a certain amount of space and you have a certain list of things you want to include. Um, just like when we were working with the Heroes and Villains uh, books, um, John and I sat down with a giant spreadsheet, essentially, of, you know, and, and you know, a compiled alphabetical list of every DC character Um and you know, just started going through the whole list and prioritizing, and saying, "Okay, this character gets you know a regular write-up. This character gets two pages. Um, you know, this character gets this amount of space, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. Um, and uh, you know, basically saying, you know, turning to the writers uh, who were assigned particular characters and saying, "Okay, you know, you've got um, the Flash." And these four ancillary characters that are associated with them, you have three pages. Make it fit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know. So a lot of a lot of DC universe, uh, a lot of the DC adventures writing was was a real exercise in brevity. Yeah, I, I you mean, know. 
you're talking about characters that have been around some of them 75 years it's it's yeah. you know how do you yeah. sum up superman absolutely in two pages? absolutely well you know and a lot of it was you know um and john you know had to, as developer had to had to deal with this more but um you know it was it was reminding people you know yeah that's great it's wonderful that you know batman's entire history but this is not the place to relate it you know pretty much in the batman entry Everything after he becomes Batman should only be about three sentences. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, relate his origin, give us the high concept, tell us about you know how he's settled into Gotham City as its protector, and then stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the stopping part is the hard thing for a comic it is. Fan. <laughs> it is, and it's and it's the same thing was true of the of the universe book. You know, we could have gone on. I mean, we could easily have split each of the individual chapters or even some of the subsections of the chapters into their own complete source books if yep. we wanted to expand upon them. But, you know, we, we only had one book. We only had so much space. So, you know, it was, again, we prioritized and we looked at things and we said, okay, Metropolis gets this many pages. Gotham gets this many pages. You know, uh, the rest of the world, you know, gets this many pages. You know, a lot of folks um, pointed out that um, the the Earth chapter of the book, you know, actually largely ignores big swaths of the Earth um, because uh, we really tried to focus on the things that were unique about the DC universe mm-hmm. setting. You know, so for example, you're going to find no discussion whatsoever, you know, in there about you know, say, large portions of Africa, um, or for that matter, Canada. <laughs> you know, because there's because there's there's nothing to report, really. You know, it's you know go go look on Wikipedia or look at an atlas because that's what there is. You know, mm-hmm. and any really significant DC universe elements are are too minor to really rate a mention. You know, so we although, really although we do want to mention that um, uh, Gorilla City did make it in. Yeah, oh yeah, Gorilla City makes it. I mean, all, all the all the significant. Um, Fictional elements from from the DC universe are, are in there in one form or another, mm-hmm. um, but you know, unless you know, there we we didn't spend a lot of time relating a lot of real world information that people could find perfectly well on their own mm-hmm. um, somewhere else. Um, you know, that was just that would have taken up you know needless amounts of space in the book. It's the same thing with relating you know needless amounts of historical information in the book. There's very little real world history. Uh, mm-hmm. In the book, except where it's tangentially related to um, the superhero history of the DC universe, so we only talk about World War II, for example, in relation to the Justice Society and the Creature mm-hmm. Commandos and things like that. Not, you know, the actual history of World War II. I was also happy to see Enemy Ace in there. Yes, <laughs> yes, I get to write. I think I got to write up Enemy Ace actually. Cool. Um, so, <laughs> so. Um, Coming in on the tail end of this project, I, I you know, admit to to helping out, although I won't necessarily admit to where, um, in case people are carrying a torch or carrying an axe for any of the characters that uh, I did. But um, I, I kind of like was picking up when um, you know you guys needed a couple of extra stat blocks done, and uh, we're splitting mm-hmm. up the last of the work. But at the beginning of the project, how bloody did it get when people were trying to, you know, stake a claim to the things that they wanted, you know, that had some really in investment in trying to do? It's like, you know, their favorite characters they wanted to write up. 
I don't, Aaron, what was that like for you? <laughs> um, I'm afraid John had to play the adult in the room several times. <laughs> um, he, uh, he sent me an initial list and then said, well, tell me what you want to do in this chapter. And I sent him back one of my patented lists, which I think both of you are familiar with the way I do that. Yes. And uh, he was like, holy crap, Aaron, we only have so many pages. Um, and he just started having the, he's like, this one, yes, this one, yes, this one, no. And going through, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but um, so, um, yeah, you know, Zoo Crew made it in, Inferior 5, not Yay. so much. <laughs> Yeah, um, for folks who are who are wondering where the line is, it's, it's between there. It's between the zoo crew and the crew inferior and the inferior five. Because <laughs> the zoo crew are definitely on the outer edge. Uh, they they squeaked in there, but I'm glad they did because I'm a big fan. Me too. I mean, uh, that that was always one of those things that that I liked about the DC universe, especially. I don't know. I don't know how much post crisis time they got, but. It always kind of made the the universe feel like it had a sense of humor about itself, you know. Yeah, there, yeah. You had the dramatic, you know, dark brooding Batman, but then you also had a poodle with superpowers. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, they were they were fun to write up. Yeah, I um, I have, I think, uh, I got the first dozen issues of the title, mm-hmm. and then the, the local store, uh, my local comic book store, which this was back in the dark ages of such things. Um, just stopped ordering that title, and I never really got an explanation. But I, I was very annoyed at the time. <laughs> Much too young, I guess, to articulate it to the owner uh, effectively well why he should change his buying policy. But hey, right. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about chapter four. We're gonna we're gonna have. Um, I'm planning on having another recording session with some of the other authors who contributed to other chapters, but um, uh, since Aaron is with us tonight, we're going to jump ahead to Chapter 4, which is titled, succinctly, Other Dimensions. So, um, what was it like getting the other assignment? (laughs) Um, Well, I mean, there wasn't a single one of those chapters in this book that I wouldn't have loved to write. So it was... We're going to give you this one instead of these. Uh, it's. I was like, okay, sure, no problem. I, um, I very much enjoyed this, and it got let me play with uh, a lot of the, the mystical dimensions. And I, I don't know why, but I wound up doing a lot of the mystical stuff in the, the two character books. So this just played right to my strengths. I enjoyed it very much. Mm-hmm. One of the things I was happy to see uh, pop in there, and this is just from a mechanical standpoint, because. Um, I think people know one of my big things about Mutants and Masterminds is I love the mechanics of it. But I was really happy to see the Dimension Travel Table pop up in here, um, mm-hmm. which which reminded me a great deal of the old, uh, um, the similar travel table that existed in the DC uh, Heroes role-playing game um, yep. that Ray Winninger uh, worked on. Yep. Um, that was an that was an early request from from uh, John saying, you, would, "Would do you think this would be a good idea?" I was like, "Sure." Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was a bit of an homage in some regards. Cool. Yeah, I was. It was nice seeing this break uh, broken down into um, you know simple game terms, and also you know obviously having all the information um, 
that you'd want as a, as a fan of the setting and or, or somebody who maybe doesn't know as much about the setting but wants to run something there. I think uh, I think you guys struck a nice balance between giving both of us, you know, both sides of the coin something here for... Uh, mm-hmm. Fingers crossed that everybody agrees with you. Yeah. <laughs> so what what I what you know so um, basically how do you approach you know a task like that? I mean this also kind of the time frame when we were when when you guys were writing this, um, this was actually uh, you know a lot of this this text was was laid out um, like before the uh, power profiles came out and before a lot of the other. Um, mm-hmm. Additional material that you guys have been cranking out over the past couple of years for for third edition. How do you decide, um, you know, where, how much mechanics goes into something like this? Well, most of it was um, most of the mechanical stuff that goes into the the DC books is character driven. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of it is how do you do this character's powers or this character's tech or this character's whatever in in game terms and um a lot of a, a number of elements of the power profiles were actually kind of spun off from um discussions that were had about designing stuff for the DC Adventures characters um so you know every, every once in a while John would you know, send me. I'd find something in my inbox from John um, that would basically be like, "So, um, Black Alice, how do we deal with her?" You know, uh, she has the power to duplicate the abilities of any magical character. You know, um, including like the Spectre. <laughs> you know, how do we handle her? Um, you know, or um, Chase uh, from DEO, who has the power to, you know, nullify any metahuman's powers so long as she feels that threatened by them um you know how do we deal with her power mechanically um i think the conversation i had with john when uh, you guys were in development we were talking about teakle and clarion the yeah. witch boy yeah and that was an interesting discussion is trying to figure out how to pull that that particular character design off yeah um you know and so a lot of those things would either you know point out <clears throat> you know areas in the in the system that that could use additional explanation, you know, where it was like, well, you know, we, we did the work of, you know, coming up with a way to do this particular thing. Let's tell everybody how we did it. Um, and so some of that stuff found its way into um, power profiles. And some of it is just, you know, right there, you know, laid out for you in the, in the DC books. The nice thing about uh, the DC books is because they're, they're well-known characters you can very easily do the I want to play a character like you know, name a DC character you know, and go, okay, well, let's look up their stats and see how they did it mm-hmm. <laughs> you know um, and, you know, you may find out that character is, you know, ridiculously expensive uh, in a few <laughs> instances, uh, but actually quite a few you know, uh, quite a lot of the characters came in really right about where they ought to have been um, John and I um, initially, when we were working with our giant spreadsheet, um, went through and and spent a couple of days, pretty much, um, assigning power levels to everyone in the DC universe. Um, and you know, we we turned out to be pretty right on for most of it. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of of the ballpark figures we were working with. 
and where we gave people to sort of aim for. And it was kind of interesting because this is really, you know, in some ways you have a lot of the iconic characters, but, you know, whenever, like, I think this book, even more so than the uh, Heroes and Villains books, you kind of have to take a snapshot of the history of the setting and actually kind of home home in on an interpretation of the setting, you know, like something that's yeah. got a, a unified view to it. Um, how, how much of, you know, how, how much kind of, like, I guess this would have been, you know, this is maybe a question that's more for John, but, you know, I mean, how much kind of supervision did you, you know, feel you needed to do throughout the process, or is that something that you just kind of established some guidelines at the beginning and then let people go? Well, you know, we, we told people, a, a lot of it, again, was really for focusing on, you know, the high concept and not a lot on the fine detail um, we we wanted to capture what was interesting about different setting elements and what was essential that somebody needs to know about them, um, but you know within you know a, a reasonable amount of space, you know. So when you know you're talking about um, you know a place like Star City or Saint Rock, which is you know sort of a second you know tier um, aspect of the the setting. Um, you know, we've only got a page or two to cover those places. Uh, and so it's, you know, sum up <laughs> for a lot of it, you know, and ask people to hit the high points. And, you know, fortunately, in a lot of regards, that, that really makes for some really tight writing that, you know, really is very information-packed. Mm-hmm. So I think that people will find the, the book is very accessible and very usable, because of that, because it, it's there's very little wasted space. Okay, so let me jump back to chapter four here and actually get into a little more detail with you, Aaron. Um, just a follow up on a question you just oh, asked. Sure, sure, sure. Go ahead. Speaking at least from my perspective with chapter four, John didn't really um, didn't really you know restrain me with a lot of supervision, aside from the winnowing down of characters, which you know he he made very good points on each one. Uh, he, he pretty much just said, write. Um, put in what you think needs to be put in. And I, I really appreciate that, uh, the, the, the gentle hand from the developer. Uh, it, it comes in very comfortably at times. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll let John know you told him he has a gentle touch. Not quite the way I would have phrased it, but okay. <laughs> But uh, getting back to yeah, I mean, what what I kind of want to know is like as a fan, I guess, of of the setting, you know, is is when I pick up the book and and virtually right now because I you know I have the PDF and mm-hmm. if you're listening to this, go out and get it because it's definitely worth your time and money. Um, but when I crack open a book like this, the first thing I'm going to do is turn to my favorite you know topic. I'm going to look into that that. that uh, um, table of contents, and I'm going to jump straight to it because you know that's how my fanboy brain works. Um, when you were approaching the other dimensions chapter, I mean, uh, what was what was the thing you really couldn't wait to do? Oh, uh, that's like asking me to pick a favorite child. Um, <laughs> there, I I can't specify. There was just a ton of things on uh, the parallel worlds. Mm-hmm. Um, touching on several of those because I have most of the uh, 
most of the, the source material as, as primary documents downstairs in a long box or two. Mm-hmm. Um, primary documents. Uh, that makes it sound very uh, official that way. Right, very scholarly. That's, very that's scholarly. how it appears on your taxes, right? Ex- exactly. <laughs> um, then uh, fourth world stuff, of course. Uh, unlike Chris, I don't have quite the same antipathy towards the fourth world. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, the A lot of the, uh, the supernatural dimensions, uh, the, the dreaming and hell... I have a lo- I have a ton of DC's supernatural stuff in long boxes downstairs, so it, it was a widespread. I mean, there are some things here and there that I wasn't quite as enamored with because I wasn't the major fan or collector of them as I was everything else. But they were few and far between. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it's, it, it's it's hard to be even-handed, you know, an even-handed fan with everything that that they make. It's. Uh, mm-hmm. Kind of asking too much of anybody, but um, and then, you know uh, that, uh, the mystic stuff was was a really high priority for me, just because when I grew up with you know I I originally was a Marvel fan in my youth, and then I kind of picked up on DC when they did their big reboot, you know, post Crisis, mm-hmm. and one of the first things that I really kind of grabbed onto was like um, Swamp Thing. Ah, good book. Yeah, by Alan Moore, and that was kind of where they were really starting to develop the idea of these very specific perceptions of of different universes and the afterlife and the mystical aspects of the setting. And uh, I was kind of like, yeah, they've got to have that in there. <laughs> it was, it was. I mean, yeah, there were occasionally characters that I, I didn't know if they they come or stay. I I'm a big Golden Age fan, as you might well remember. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Dr. Colt, I was very, very strongly, I had very strong feelings that he should be in there, and luckily John agreed. But um, when I've turned in my manuscript, being me, as both of you have been developers, it's stuff I've turned in, no, <laughs> I tend to overwrite. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was originally supposed to turn in 30,000 words, and I turned in 35,000. And that was after I cut out stuff. So I, I went through and highlighted a bunch of things and painfully told John, I was like, this is the stuff you can probably cut. Just don't let me know until it's done. But I, I can't look. And, um, and several of those items actually survived the, the development process. So I was very happy to, to see them still in there. I was like, whoa, there was a room. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of the, uh, I mean, there's the old writer's phrase, um, don't be afraid to kill your darlings, but um, it hurts. <laughs> yeah. I- I'm happy to turn my darlings over to somebody else to kill so I don't have to watch it. <laughs> well, that sounds even less <laughs> wholesome. It's a matter of perspective. <laughs> yes, indeed. But, um, so... What uh, if you were if you were basically trying to explain, um, you know, the, the highlights of of your your chapter to to somebody who um, might be you know on the tipping point of trying to decide if they want the book or not, um, what what do you think the 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 parallel Earths section kind of brings to a gamer? Well, for one thing, being as this is a, a game where you're supposed to you know make your own version of the DC Earth. It gives you a catalog of the different parallel Earths that have been shown. 
So if you're hard up trying to figure out which version of DC you want to play with or play in, it gives you a, a nice set of comparisons to make. You can go, ooh, mm-hmm. Earth-26, that hasn't been detailed yet. That's going to be my Earth. Uh, or, ooh, this is an interesting twist on that uh, where they you know, gender-switched everybody. That's the, that's, the, uh, that's the universe I want to play in. Um, and you have that nice big catalog that you can just go through and pick then. Yeah, one of the things that we we made a point of um, in talking about the um, you know the the, the fifty two um, Earths um, for the different parallels was that there ha- there are a number of them that are still basically unknown and just left blank, um, and that leaves plenty of room for people to slot in their own version of the DC universe, um, you know, that has whatever modifications they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's um, one of the big advantages of the uh, of the, the, the original or the oh, I don't know, it's not original, but mm. of, of the DC universe as as we were writing it at the time. <laughs> um, the the uh, the idea that there was room for you to create, there was plenty of room for you to, to bring your own thing to it, which is an important. Um, you know, it's important for a gamer to have that that feeling of comfort with bringing their own stuff to a game when they're when they're trying to essentially write their own story and have their own voice. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Creatively. Um, so, one of the things that I really liked that we managed to get in there, uh, me, like like I had anything to do with this, which I didn't. Um, <laughs> but I, I really liked that we got the Batman Beyond. Um, oh yeah, stuff in this because I mean, interesting story there. Um, I, I I don't think John will be annoyed at me that I, that I said this. The um, there were actually two different perspectives you could come at uh, Batman Beyond, and both of them got 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 come at. Uh, I did uh, originally Batman Beyond of mine because I was thinking, oh well, this is you know Earth twelve, right? Um, Postcards. And then Darren Bulmer and his was like, well, this is... It's in the future. So um, when they got the manuscripts, they were like, oh, Batman Beyond is in two chapters. So um, uh, John and I'm assuming Steve uh, had his hand in in making the sausage here. They did a very nice job of taking Darren's stuff and my stuff on Batman Beyond and melding them pretty much seamlessly. Yeah, that's pretty much what happened. Awesome. I hadn't heard that story. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I was a big fan of the cartoon. I have to say, um, is is that gonna is that chapter gonna look familiar to me um, without having had read the comic book variation? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah. Um, you'll, with the exception of um, the the Catwoman character, the future one that they introduced in the comic book, mm-hmm. you'll yeah. re- you'll recognize everything about Batman Beyond and the future Bruce Wayne and you know some of the mentions of his origin and yeah. how uh, the, the different things he fights. All that's yep. old hat that anybody watches. Pretty much the same, yeah. Cool, cool. So, one of, the, one of the, I remember when people were talking about the books and wondering which characters were going to make it, I do remember that one of the big question marks that people kept hammering on was Superboy Prime. <laughs> <laughs> he was um, actually in the original list that John and I talked about. Mm-hmm. But then I, I think I saw I, it was Legion on Legion of Three Earths or Legion of Three Worlds. Yep. I uh, I was looking through and it hit me. I was like, oh crap! So I emailed John. I was like, do you think we need Superboy Prime? 
And John was like, yeah, people are probably going to mention his absence, so go ahead. Yep. And he's in there. Yep. And all his detailed Earth 8 as well. That was, uh, I I could have actually done a lot more on that, um, but uh, that was one of the the things where I went through and go, you know, the extremists are all I really need. I can chop out the rest of this. And so that was self-edited before I ever sent it in. Mm-hmm. But I, I hope there's enough there to make a fan of Angor happy. <laughs> <laughs> I do, uh, I do really like the um, the extremists. Although it was kind of interesting seeing the new art style for the characters. Um, they've been they've been updated significantly since I re- remember reading about them back in the, uh, uh, I guess the late '80s. I was going to say uh, back in their their sort of Bronze Age introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, I am. Um, I'm I'm more fond of the um, original art from the Justice League in the '80s where they were introduced. Um, the the new art style it's good, but everybody has their own tastes, and mm-hmm. I'm like that's a that's yeah. a little too. Um, who's the guy that does a lot of the British stuff like Slane and uh, Brian? Is it Brian Easley, the Judge Dredd? I think so. I think so. Uh, it, the, the style reminds me very much of the, the hyper steroid version of yeah. art that we see in Judge Dredd and, and Slane and stuff. So, yeah, yeah you can't have everything. No, that is true. That is true. <laughs> one of the one of the, the things you know uh, that timing and circumstances you know prevented us from touching upon in this chapter was um, doing uh, Earth Earth sixteen, which is um, oh. Young Justice's Earth. Yes. All due respect to the Super Sons, I, I vastly prefer the Young Justice version of Earth 16. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm still mourning the loss of that show. Oh, yeah. the TV show was fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, but, I, you know, again, that could have been a, you know, mini source book unto itself, you yes, know, so. Easily, easily. Yeah, there's yeah. certainly plenty of room for players to do their own spin on those characters. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Dreams of things that might have been. I would have been lining up and pestering the hell out of John with email for that one. It's like, can I write? Can I write on that? Can I write on that? Can I write on that? Yeah, I think uh, I think any one of us would have been. But um, the what, one of the things that I really like about um, the DC universe's take, or at least this version of the DC universe's take on the other dimensions, is that you have kind of a differentiation between. Um, you know the parallel Earths, which are these are kind of the alternate takes on you know history, where you know like you you mentioned you have the gender swap version of the characters, or you have you know some some event that happened in the past which changed things, like some sort of like like a nuclear apocalypse that uh, you know a superhero failed to prevent or something. But mm-hmm. you you also have within the context of uh, a single timeline, as it were, you also have um, the idea of different uh, planes of existence, different uh, um, layers to reality. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do you go about trying to tackle both of those concepts in one in one chapter? Um, you basically divide the chapter into two separate sections, um, <laughs> which is right <laughs> headings. It was like it was a heading. It's like these two don't really. Uh, they're, 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 they're very separate contexts, so uh, we just need to approach them separately. Uh, that was um, actually in the original time, or in the original outline that we were sent. It's like, just go ahead and split those right down the middle. 
pretty much. It's interesting to note that um, most of the, with with a few exceptions, most of the the other dimensions that are not parallel Earths in the DC universe are magical in nature. There are a few things like the bleed and you know sort of hyperspace type stuff, um, but pretty much otherwise, most of the time, if you're talking about other dimensions that are not parallel Earths in some way or another, they're probably magical of some in some way. You know, yes. so it was actually pretty easy for us to kind of um, say, well, there are the parallel Earths. There's the bleed, which is kind of the thing that surrounds all of them anyway, um, that they're all sort of floating in. Um, and then there's all this magic stuff. <laughs> so that actually proved to be a pretty good way to divide it up. And that, I think that goes back to, um, again, the 80s when they were kind of restructuring and rewriting the DC Universe after post-crisis. A lot of the, um, a lot of the extra-dimensional stuff, the parallel Earths, had been kind of sandwiched into a single timeline instead. Right. And, yep. um, you know, it, it was authors like Alan Moore and Neil Gaiman who were stepping in to kind of fill out the, the mystical aspects that started kind of mm-hmm. playing with these other dimensions for, yeah. for their mystical characters. And I think... Well, go ahead. Yeah, because I was going to say, because the, the thing is, the DC Universe lacked, up until that point, lacked a real um, coherent... Um, you know, magical cosmology. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, unlike you know, the Marvel universe pretty pretty much orbited around Doctor Strange as far as magic went. Mm-hmm. Doctor Strange was the magic guy, and pretty much everything that happened in his book defined how you know. With, well, him and Thor pretty much mm-hmm. formed sort of two poles of you know magic in the Marvel universe, and they pretty much defined the nature of everything. You know, in terms of other dimensions and the way magic worked and the way the supernatural worked and all of that stuff. But DC had this real sort of scattershot collection of magical and frankly kind of really just weird characters. Because DC had a lot more of the sort of horror books like House of Mystery and House of Secrets and a lot more of just sort of the weird tales types of stuff um, and um, most of their Silver Age was very science oriented mm-hmm. um, you know and was actually a deliberate break from a lot of the magical characters that had been around in the um, in the 40s that had a lot um, to do with the, um, the comic uh, association right the uh... I, it had a lot the, the comic code had a lot to do with it because you couldn't do anything that was was quote unquote macabre mm-hmm. um you know, where so fires you called out as such, and the right. list was so long and ridiculous. You know, so yeah, I mean, so they naturally tended to shy away from you know magical uh, stuff for the most part. Um, so you saw uh, in the the a lot of the post crisis work, you know, uh, starting with um, Alan Moore's Swamp Thing, um, and uh, and that was sort of you know bridging over cri- over and during crisis, but. Um, you saw a lot of efforts to sort of unify a lot of the disparate magical elements in the in the DC universe um, that pretty much kind of culminated when Neil Gaiman did uh, Books of Magic. Um, 
and that was was basically supposed to be sort of this grand tour of you know magic in the DC universe and how it all kind of held together. Mm-hmm. Still one of my favorite stories and collections. Yep. Yeah, that's a terrific book. So I, I, I was so happy when they recolored that one page. Though there was there's one page in the original printing that where they used red text on a black background. That yeah, that's almost unreadable. <laughs> But I'm so glad they recolored that on the second and third printings and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. Well, even just the new um, color separ- digital color separations mm-hmm. for the new printing of Books of Magic just make the, the colors pop mm-hmm. like way more than they did in the original books. Yeah, yeah. It's gorgeous. Which actually brings us to kind of one of the asset, you know, one of the um, uh, topics that kind of pops up when talking about a project like this is the digital age of publishing has kind of changed the way we go get assets for these things. Back mm-hmm. when, um, like like in the old DC Heroes role-playing game, you would have an artist actually tracing a picture of Superman to create an illustration for, you know, physically tracing um, mm-hmm. in order to create an illustration for a role-playing game book. That's why a lot of the game books, you know, were black and white, um, you know, either for pr- publishing costs and whatnot. Now, you basically have um, a digital archive that goes back only so long because mm-hmm. it's only only the 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 works that have been scanned in and colored digitally, you know, are, are part of this archive. But um, you know, so I, I guess that kind of informs some of your your art decisions, like we were talking about with the extremists. Um, but uh, was there any, were there any other aspects to the book that that kind of uh, either helped or hindered you guys? The the art definitely uh, was a different sort of process for us uh, because we were working with DC's art archive rather than the usual process of of you know soliciting and and commissioning art for the book. It was really much more a matter of finding art um, for the book, and um, we we ended up going about that. Um, we ended up uh, largely taking advantage of of a lot of crowdsourcing and help from our fans um, in order to um, find the right pieces of art because it was really difficult in some cases um, to find a particular piece of art that fit our needs um, and also just track it down um, you know in terms of where it was we had a number of instances and a number of like you know email or phone exchanges between uh, John and myself and Hal Mangold, who's our art director, um, where we would be like, you know that thing, you know, that story where this thing happened, you know, and there's this picture of, of you know, uh, we were particularly talking about Gorilla City, I remember one. There's this picture of Gorilla City. What story is that in? Um, and I remember us taking like a, a good couple of hours one afternoon trying to track it down um, because we were like, yeah, I know, I like, I can see it. I totally know the one you're talking about. I think it was in a Flash comic, you know, and I was like, okay, well, that narrows it down to a few hundred, you know, issues. <laughs> um, you know, or of course it might have been a Justice League, you know, and so um, we, we ended up uh, starting with um, the Heroes and Villains books because we just had to, you know, we had to find hundreds of pieces of art um, and um, be able to specify to DC, you know, we want, 
you know, the third panel on the fifth page of the tenth issue of this book. Um, so we we ended up talking to the fans and saying, hey, you know, here's a list of you know things that we don't have art definitely picked out for that you know just the perfect picture has not jumped out at us yet. You know, if you have an idea of something you think would really work, tell us. You know, and ideally, you know, point us to it and we'll look it up and, you know, hopefully it will, you know, have a whole group of people working on it rather than just us trying to dig through our personal comics collections and, you know, hunt through online archives and things like that, trying to track stuff down. So the good thing about it was, was as far as DC's digital archive is concerned, that pretty much includes because of their publishing process now their digital archive includes everything they've published in the past well you know it was probably 10 it now it's probably about 15 years and that includes every reprint they've done mm-hmm. um so you know dc said you know if we've done an archive edition if we've reprinted it you know at any point in the past you know 15 years it's digital uh, we've scanned it um, so, you know, a tremendous amount of their back catalog, you know, it was also in that archive. It's not just, you know, art that's been actually drawn in the past 10 years. So that did expand our options, you know, in a lot of ways. Very cool. Um, so, Aaron. Sir. What was your favorite piece of art when uh, when you were looking through the uh, PDF um, uh, what, what was the one that kind of jumped out at you and said, yeah, that's the perfect one? Um, there were many. I, yeah, I keep coming back to that. You keep saying, what is the, your X? And I keep going, well, it's <laughs> just what it is. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to picture, paint a picture for in, in people's heads of, uh, of what the book looks like because it looks so good. <laughs> there, there are so many pieces of art in here and they used a lot of the, um, chapter dividers, uh, were uh, George Perez, uh, not George Perez, but were Phil Jimenez, and uh, who you know is very much the shadow of George Perez. Their their style, his style is intentionally based on Perez, and I happen to like both of them, so I'm good with that. So there were several of those pieces I just thought, oh nice, and I really like the um, the half page that they did for Amethyst, which I think that's the yeah the 52 version, but she still look it's a gorgeous piece of art. Actually, it's not. Um, it's not the Swords of Sorcery wasn't even announced. Oh, is the illustration from the fifty-two version? The new fifty-two. Yeah, that's what I mean. Oh, I, I, I know be. it's not the new fifty-two version of Amethyst, but the art. The yeah. coloring, the coloring on that looks like an Adam Hughes uh, piece. Um, I don't, I don't know that the style is his. Is is that an Adam Hughes piece? I wonder. I'm not sure off the top of my head. John might know. I'll have to track that one down. But uh, yeah, that's a gorgeous picture of Amethyst. I was just like, I was like, oh, I thought they were going to go with, you know, like a pre-crisis version, but, or not pre-crisis, um, a uh, version from the original series or one of the series, but they went with the new one. And I, I was like, that was a good choice because that's a good piece of art. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to, to the kind of, um, the question of the hour. And, and I know a lot of the fans are, um, sympathetic to you guys because the new 52 comic book event did, kick in after you guys had written most of this content 
Was mm-hmm. there was there any effort to try and include or, or talk about the new fifty two in, in, in the context of what you've done here with this book or none at all. Nope. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um No, I mean we you know, we, we talked about it, um, but we knew um well we didn't know. We we had discussed going into the the license deal and we had discussed you know, internally in the company, you know, when we were starting, you know, to, to work on the game line, um, that, you know, one of the, you know, um, truths of the, the comic book publishing business is that change is the only constant, um, you know, and that's pretty much been the case for decades at this mm-hmm. point. So it was, it was a safe bet, you know, that sooner or later, um, some, you know, cosmos changing event, uh, was going to come along uh, and you know alter you know some uh, significant amount of what we uh, were writing. Um, so that was part of our um, decision to kind of focus on um, what we we refer to as the the iconic uh, approach to the characters and the setting, um, and to to really focus on that high level um, viewpoint of it. And not get into a lot of minutia um, that might or may not, you know, be relevant. Um, you know, particularly if you know the shifting winds of uh, you know creative direction blow in another way. Um, but uh, you know, when uh, the the new Fifty Two came along, um, we we had you know the book largely written, and um, there uh, there wasn't much point. Uh, in trying to retool it to address um, the the new 52's changes, because for one thing, we didn't know what a lot of them were, um, and DC was not very forthcoming, understandably, um, with a lot of that information. And in some cases, it, it may very well be that DC doesn't know, mm-hmm. um, because you know their own creators are in the process of re envisioning a lot of this stuff. So. You know, when we're talking about you know the trivia of the the DC universe, and we're we're asking you know, well, how many planets you know does the you know um, uh, Polaris system have now, and how many of them are inhabited? Um, you know, DC's answer may be I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're pretty sure Adam Strange is still around, but um, you know, I don't even know if he's shown up in New Fifty Two, so. Um, so yeah, I mean, we just, we decided that the book was basically from our perspective, the book was done, um, you know, at at least in terms of its, its informational content and the, the previous three books, you know, were, were based on, you know, DC's post-crisis continuity up to that point. So there was very little point in trying to, to change direction with the last book in the series, you know, we would rather just have it be, you know, a complete set that focuses a fairly coherent vision, you know, and trying to shoehorn something about the New 52 into it would have, you know, come off as fairly lame, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it would be you kind know. of difficult to uh, go into detail on something that somebody else was still in the process of making up. Yeah, <laughs> very difficult. Very difficult. And I mean, and especially, you know, when we were talking about it, at the time, you know, New 52 was, you know, initially New 52 had simply been announced. 
and even then, it was very clear from the first couple of months of the new books that all bets were off. And, and so it was incredibly hard to say, you know, who some of these characters were and what their stories were and what was going on. So, you know, it, we, we just decided it was, it was, it made far more sense to, to not even try to, you know, get into that. I think the phrase that, that echoes back to, uh, the old Marvel superheroes game from TSR was the, uh, trying to hit a moving target. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, very, very much so. Very much so. Moving target in the dark. Yeah. <laughs> but um, well, I think uh, I think is there any is there anything else about this book? I mean, we we've essentially got five chapters worth of content, but so that people don't think that that's not very much content. Uh, it's, it's over two hundred pages. It's two hundred and what twenty three pages. Uh, two twenty four. Yeah. Two twenty four. Um, yep. Massive amount of content. Um, you can actually go to um, the Mutants and Masterminds front page and download a PDF preview, which includes the table of contents, so you can see a lot of the cool stuff that's 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 in yep. there. Um, character write-ups. Ton of character write-ups. Yeah, it's worth it's worth noting. Although this is this is billed as a setting book, that mm-hmm. there's still another couple hundred characters in it. Mm-hmm. So. I think originally you guys weren't planning on having so many characters, but uh, yeah, it ended up being you know um, uh, you know a lot of a few characters got shuffled into this book from heroes and villains uh, simply for space reasons, and we just kept coming up with new characters. Uh, you know, as the process went along, we would we would hit a particular you know. Uh, setting element to be like, oh yeah, we should probably talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least have a some stats for what this guy is like. You know, so uh, yeah, it it kind of ballooned. You know, in the process, and John was with you know with a, a whip in a chair trying to you know keep it <laughs> under control. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, again, this uh, the PDF is available now. Um, if you pre-order the book from mutantsandmasterminds.com or from, you guys are doing the, uh, are you guys uh, doing the, the pre-order from your friendly local game? Yeah, we're doing the the, um, the pre-order plus program with uh, your local retailer as well. So if they don't know about it, they should just contact Green Ronin. Um, yep, absolutely. And, uh, Green Ronin can help them uh, with some coupon codes so that their customers can pre-order from the from the friendly mm-hmm. local game store and still get to download the uh, the PDF for only five dollars. Is that right? Yep, absolutely. Okay. You have to satisfy your good, instant gratification. Yep. What's that, Aaron? So that's a very good marketing idea. I, I think Proper. it's great. I, I really like the fact that Green Ronin is supporting their local stores, and um, you know you're not uh, you're not trying to undercut them by offering them offering your customers something. No, absolutely. On your we want to make that sure they that they've got access to the same you know tools that we do. Mm-hmm. But um, it is up there, so you can actually take a look and flip through the book and and um, and chase down a lot of these characters. Um, I'm going to see if I can't get uh, Jack on here to uh, talk about his favorite superpower in the book, which was uh, one of the characters from the Great Ten that I know. Yes, he on. yes, who has super fecundity. <laughs> okay, that was the mother of champions. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, uh, I'll see if I can't, uh, cajole him back onto the show. It's been a while since we've had Jack on, but, um, 
what was your favorite superpowers um, making during the series, if you can remember? I, I know I keep asking my favorite, or but just pick one that uh, jumps out at uh, kind of challenging. Aaron? Um, probably several of the uh, slots in the Spectre's reality manipulation array. You know, like how he, uh, he did the karmic justice attack on people or um, the transformative attack on them with certain limitations. Actually, a lot of the stuff that I had to do with the Spectre to make him work and still do stats instead of PLX, I was quite happy with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, that's, he's, he has a monster of a stat block. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's pretty impressive how it all comes together. Yep. And uh, that, that's because it had an excellent system to begin with, Mr. Kenson. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, in case we didn't mention it, Kenson is the designer for the... The role-playing game. I don't know. Oh, and one more thing, of course. Uh, just scrolling through, um, it was great to see uh, uh, an intro by Marv Wolfman because uh, yes, the Wolfman Perez years on Teen Titans are what grabbed me into D- the DC universe yeah, to begin that's, with. That was that was all John's idea, um, and uh, you know uh, he he's the one who made it happen. So you should definitely ask him about it because we, we, you know, that was one of those, you know, where, where John pitched it and we were like, you know, do you think he'd even do that? And, um, you know, he was like, well, you know, the worst he can do is say no, Yep. you know? So, um, you know, John is, is the one who made that happen. I'm really glad he did too. Cause I think it, it really, um, you know, it, it lays a certain, you know, sort of seal of approval on the whole, Series and I think it um, hit Marv's um, forward and and John's sort of afterward nicely bookends the whole thing. Let's not forget that now John's picture too is out there for time immemorial. That's right. right. That's right. If you've ever wondered what what um, John Lighthouser looks like, you can you can find out in the book. Yep. Or if you go to GenCon, just look for the tallest guy in the room. Right. Right. But uh, so, Steve, um, before we go, I, I wanted to pitch the same question to you. What was your favorite power or design uh, trick that you discovered while while making one of the characters? In the book? There are a lot of them. Still, if you remember any of them, it's been a uh, while. Yeah. <laughs> um, there, there are a lot of of interesting characters because uh, because the universe book, it's strangely enough, ends up with a lot of the really oddball characters. Mm-hmm. Um, that we weren't sure we're going to get into um, heroes and villains uh, in some regards. So um, it's it, it's a it kind of runs the gamut. Um, I I really liked um, messing around with some of the um, the. There's a section uh, in the future chapter about temporal conquerors and all of the time based villains. Um, so they were kind of fun uh, to uh, play around with. Um, and I'm trying to remember if uh, it's in this book or not. Um, oh, and uh, I also really like how um, um, Chase uh, from DEO came out uh, in this book um, because her power is kind of um, an oddball one. Um, but it ended up working out surprisingly well, all things considered. She's actually a really good example of a, a, a supposedly normal level uh, character who would actually fit into a, a power level 10 game pretty seamlessly. 
uh, in spite of the fact that she seems, you know, just like a normal um, government uh, security agent, she's actually somebody whose uh, capabilities would allow her to ha- hang around and work with a lot of really powerful characters without really even blinking. Uh, for people who may not recognize the character by name, who is Chase? Uh, Chase is a, a government agent who works for the Department of Extra Normal. Um, was it Department of Extra Normal Operations? I believe. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Um, and um, basically, she has sort of this unconscious superpower that allows her to neutralize other people's powers uh, when she feels endangered by them. Um, so it actually allows her to basically be a normal cop uh, or a federal agent who can go out and arrest supervillains or even you know deal with superheroes on a fairly even basis because she can bring everybody down to her level. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Uh, and that was an interesting power to write up. She was the star of a monumentally underrated series that was cut woefully short. Yes, indeed. Woeful. Indeed. That came out at the same time uh, I, the new version of Kronos did. I collected both of them, and they both died at about the same time. Yeah, uh, well worth checking out if uh, you uh, are going through the back issue bins. Oh, uh, well. Well, to end on a, on a positive note, I, I want to... Um, thank you again, Steve, and, and th- I'll talk to John hopefully Saturday um, for letting me be a small part of this book. But I'm really excited to have this book out there. Um, Us too. And, and uh, yeah, I'm sure you guys are. It's been a long time coming, and the fans have been waiting and waiting patiently. But uh, I think it's definitely worth the wait. It's it's a really comprehensive look at the DC universe um, as a setting. You've got oodles more characters um i think uh you know there, there was some behind the scenes you know plotting by some of us uh here on the podcast i, I don't want to point fingers but to actually um kind of fill in some of the gaps that we felt were being left behind by heroes and villains and then i know that uh, i was joyfully going to participate but all of the characters that i'd optioned for this little project and this was kind of a non-profit thing but Mm-hmm. We were going to just post some stuff onto the Atomic Think Tank, but uh, all of the ones I picked got into this book. <laughs> yep, so, that's not true. That's not true. Um, you uh, still have Angel and the Ape. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. There you go. <laughs> so there's still there's still room for 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 some characters that didn't make it in there. But uh, your, man, your others. I was, I was like, oh, James, the others are in here. Oh, crap. Um, but, uh, <laughs> Yep, but uh, that, that was that was that was a uh, uh, kind of a fun conversation that we were having. But uh, anyway, I, uh, obviously there are hundreds of pages of great stuff in this book. I definitely think people will get their money's worth out of it. Um, really, really happy with the layout. Once again, um, I love Howl's layouts. They're so easy to read yeah. and uh, you know digest. Um, I can't wait to have the physical copy in my hands. Um, so looking oh, forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be a fine-looking book and a really nice, you know, sort of um, completion to the, the the whole set. Mm-hmm. And there's um, space waiting on my shelf for it anxiously. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> I like how the first got that three empty books... space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, just... I keep, I keep, I keep having to sort books on my shelves to to to, to make sure I leave room for that that fourth book when it comes out but um 
All right. Well, thank you both for joining me tonight, and uh, thank you everybody for listening. Hope uh, hope this was a, a fun podcast to listen to, and um, I hope everybody's looking forward to to cracking open this book. Um, as usual, if anybody has any questions or comments on the podcast, please feel free to comment on um, uh, either the Podbean site or the Vigilance Press website uh, on the on the announcement blog entries. I actually get more feedback um, from the Vigilance Press site, so it's a, le- a little easier for me to respond there. Um, sometimes Podbean doesn't like to inform me that people have actually posted or asked questions. <laughs> So if you want to get through to me, um, head to the Vigilance Press website and 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 shout at me there. Or of course, you can always find us, uh, find me on Facebook and uh, Google Plus. So um, there, uh, there's all sorts of ways to give us feedback on the po- podcast. We'd love to hear your questions for future episodes. Um, and uh, I do plan to record another. Um, podcast on this particular book uh, this Saturday, and um, with luck, it'll be with uh, Christopher McLaughlin, uh, John Lighthouser, and Seth Johnson. So that should be a really fun... It's a party uh, waiting to happen right there. What's that? Yeah. So that's a party waiting to happen right there. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. We'll, uh, we'll have, someone will have to remember to bring the beer. Um, <laughs> but um, might be too, too, we might be recording too early in the afternoon for that, though. Um, but uh, I will hopefully have that one out for you guys uh, this this weekend. Um, and uh, but uh, until next episode, um, I hope uh, everybody enjoyed this one and uh, let us know what you think. And again, uh, Aaron, Steve, thank you for joining us. Thanks Pleasure. for having. Me. All right. Well, I'll let everybody know. Uh, let let everybody go now with uh, with the signature phrase: <laughs> Stay vigilant.